Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesker demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we're talking a movie from 2023 even though it's now 2024. One word title, Wonka. Not to be confused with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Wonka, starring Timothy Chalamet, would you agree with me that it is a direct prequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and not Tim Burton and Johnny Depp's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It appears so. It is an entirely original work of fiction, not a Roald Dahl adapted story. Okay. It's based on the characters. Ostensibly, the Gene Wilder character, given that Timothy Chalamet has more than a passing resemblance to a young Gene Wilder, if not a young Willy Wonka as portrayed by Gene Wilder. It's mostly the hair, right? And the nose? The hair is is pretty spot on and I love Timothy Chalamet's long locks and it was great they were just unleashed and beautiful but there's nothing that compares to Gene Wilder's sparkling baby blues uh well I'm glad to hear you echo the sentiment that Gene Wilder is unmatched as Wonka but obviously Timothy Chalamet and his luscious locks he's a big cutie and this is big cutie Wonka but If he's a direct prequel character to Wilder's Willy Wonka, I would have said nobody would call Gene Wilder a big cutie, right? Maybe in his time. He was like the Art Garfunkel of chocolate. (laughs) He he had the twinkling baby blues and he was strange and he was kind and he was delightful. He wasn't bad looking. I mean, I don't know. What was what were people's that he seems like he was very much in vogue in the 70s. No, no, not at all bad looking. But definitely more mad scientist than Timothy Chalamet's Wonka. Yeah, but Timothy Chalamet's Wonka is a kid. Yeah, but if we're doing it this way and it seems like everything is setting up the Wonka we know. The Oompa Loompas are orange and have green hair. Not the case in in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the Johnny Depp, Tim Burton one. But 
Slugworth is a prominent character. And in this one, Slugworth is a black dude. Are we addressing that or are we just going to let it go Hamilton style? Wait a second, wait a second. Slugworth is a prominent character? Yes. In Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Arthur Slugworth is the dude that hounds Charlie incessantly, looking to offer him vast sums of family-saving money to obtain a single everlasting gobstopper. Except that Arthur Slugworth was called by a different name. When he summons him from behind the door in the office, he's not Mr. Slugworth. He was playing Slugworth. Okay, fair enough. Thank you, Accuracy Police. I'm now, <laughs> I'm now recalling that fact. So he's basing his bad guy, who actually works for him, he's basing his bad guy persona on the bad chocolatier who once tried to sabotage and murder him? Yes, both Slugworth and Prodnose and the other one all have product presence in the Candyman candy shop. Also known as the Gallery Gourmet? No, I'm talking about the original Candyman, the Candyman can, that oh, yeah. one. That, <laughs> yeah. that, so there's Slugworth chocolate and there's Prodnose chocolate. I think there's even Fickle Gruber. And they're all, they all have product placement or product presence, rather, in the Candyman candy shop because those are ostensibly Wonka's competitors. Although in the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory from 71, you know, Wonka's already risen to prominence and all of his competitors are distant seconds, if that. Man, Iris is bringing it with the authenticity, man, <laughs> holding him to it. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is so beloved to me, so irreplaceable that I didn't even see Johnny Depp's Willy Wonka. You know, it's different enough that it warrants seeing, if only for the curiosity. So curiously, Snod, not Snodgrass, what's his name? Um, Prodnose. Prodnose. Matt Lucas. He's the guy with alopecia. He was in Bridesmaids. You know that, right? Oh. He's the, the brother, the the roommate. Yes. And he's, in, he's in, in a lot of British comedy and stuff. A weird thing happened here where I was like, Prodnose, I, I know that dude because he has hair in this movie. And then I realized that he plays both Tweedledee and Tweedledum in Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, which stars Johnny Depp, who also in a Tim Burton movie played Willy Wonka, but who in Alice in Wonderland with Matt Lucas in his top hat and his crazy hair looks more like Gene Wilder's Wonka than his Wonka does and more like Timothy Chalamet's Wonka. That's a weird connection. This seems like a Chris Nolan explanation of the Wonkaverse. Yeah, the, the Wonkaverse. And there is potential they have bandied about the idea of a sequel because, as we know, the director, Paul King, is known for his wildly successful beloved sequels. Like Paddington 2, the best yeah, one of the Nicolas best movies Cage ever. Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal's <laughs> favorite movie of all time. Uh, I wish I wish that Pedro Pascal was played by Pedro Pascal. You know what I mean? I wish that Pedro Pascal's him, character, character was, too? was yeah. just, <laughs> yes, that would have just made the whole meta thing that was the unbearable weight of massive talent so much more amazing. So um, they love Paddington 2. Paddington 2 enjoyed a nearly, because there's always got to be one person to muck it up just to make a name for themselves. It had like a 99% Rotten Tomato rating. And Kelly and I watched Paddington and Paddington 2 on the strength of that. Look, it was perfectly lovely and kind not not forgettable, but it was just like, yeah, that was that was nice. That was nice. And I feel kind of the same way about Wonka. 
Um, I didn't have a really expectation because like you, I'm in love with the 1971 Gene Wilder version. And I don't, I don't know that this story needed to be told. That's the way I felt. Uh, that said, who could play a better Wonka than Timothy Chalamet if he was going to play a young version of the Gene Wilder character? He seems perfectly appropriate. And I thought the same thing, the exact same thing. Who could possibly replace Julie Andrews as Mary Poppins? That's impossible. But if you're going to do it, Maybe Emily Blunt's your girl. And she did it, and I watched that movie, and it was exactly as clean and polished and whimsical and musical and colorful and magical. And I came out of there thinking, that was actually maybe an appropriate sequel or within the same universe as the original Mary Poppins, which is on an impossibly high pedestal for me. And I was thinking, man, maybe they actually did it. And then I never watched that movie again. And likely, I don't know that I'll ever pop on Wonka again. Does it stick to your ribs? Is it enough? I mean, it's perfectly lovely, as was Paddington. Are you going to watch Wonka again? Um, Probably not. I mean, I did watch it twice. And you have kids. And I have kids who typically like to watch movies more than once. It sounds like Wonka has inspired a lot of theories and reflection. What Wonka made me realize about movies, especially old old ones that are beloved, is that I think movies grow souls over time. Wonka, and I also was comparing it to the new Mary Poppins, I feel like they're, you said clean and polished, but I take that a step further and say kind of soulless. And I think it's not necessarily their problem. It's not the movies, the new movies problems. I think that time will tell if there is something enduring about Mary Poppins Returns or this Timothy Chalamet version of Wonka and that they grow these souls that make them become beloved. Like, I don't know. Do you think that the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was, was it an instant classic? Was it a big hit? I love it so unabashedly because I've grown up with it and because I can now share it with my kids and I can now see the delight that it brings to them. I mean, we watched these movies back to back. They watched Wonka in Ohio over Christmas and then they watched Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory back home in California. After Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, they were singing the songs. They were asking Alexa to play them. They were dancing like ballerinas to World of of my imagination or whatever that song is called. Yeah. And they didn't ask once again about Wonka. Look, I'm in my late 40s, I'm sad to say. And in a way, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory in 1971 still terrifies me. You're telling me those girls in this modern age came through unscathed? Paloma said that she felt funny when they were in the <laughs> boat. <laughs> So she's just trying to figure out what that all meant. <laughs> and then she's like, did you see the worm come out of the person's nose? And I was like, I think that was a snake. And she's like, mm, no. Oh, my God. Uh, the music is curious because this one started and they started singing and it was a mu musical right off the bat for Wonka. And I was like, oh, no. Like, what are we? Oh, come on. Because you know how I feel about musicals. It's not automatic, dude. You have to earn my trust. And you can't just burst into song and expect me to go along with it. That said, I guess if there's a magical world that justifies bursting into song, maybe it's Wonka's world. So I was going to argue that Willy Wonka 
and the Chocolate Factory Gene Wilder is not a musical. He they, The Oompa Loompas sing a song because they're Oompa Loompas. But other than that, they're recitations and brief musical interludes and stuff. But he does sing In a World of My Imagination or whatever that song is called. It's true. He does. And so I guess yep. that kind of works. But already, like I had to dock a couple points because I'm innately distrustful of musicals. That said, I guess it works. And it was, and I was overjoyed to see Mr. Carson and Olivia Coleman. Mr. Carson, he was the, he was the, what was he? Abacus Crunch, the uh, one of the people under the stairs in Wonka, or the footman in, in Downton Abbey. Oh, 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 was he the accountant? Yeah, Abacus. Oh, duh. Bleacher was weird. Bleacher, played by Tom Davis, was so gross. He tur- he was just like, ooh. The big galoot? Yeah. It was we- His voice was weird. I couldn't tell if it was modulated or if that actor really pulled off that weird voice. That was kind of cool. Oh, really? I, yeah. I was just, I, for some reason, I found him kind of re- repelling. Oh, of course. Well, that dude's not your type. That's Kelly Ray's type. She's all about no. big galoots. <laughs> It's so funny to see Olivia Coleman, who's typically so refined and like magist magisterial. Is that yeah. right? Majestic, regal, majestic. Yes. Well, I mean, she literally played the queen. You know what's odd about that? Olivia Coleman played a middle-aged version of Queen Elizabeth in The Crown, and Imelda Staunton plays the older-aged queen in the final two seasons of The Crown, who's married to Mr. Carson. Abacus Crunch. Yeah. Why do you call him Mr. Carson? His name is Jim Carter. Yeah, that's what Jim Carter's name was in Downton Abbey. Keep up. Suddenly we're talking about the cast. I'm not sure how we we got into this, but I think that Slugworth, played by Peterson Joseph, is steals the show. He's very hammy and chewy. Yeah. But he's but he's so he's such a delicious baddie. Get it? Yeah. He is in a way what I expected young Wonka to be. Like, he has the potential for evil, like murderous, drown-you-in-your-own-chocolate evil in this yes. movie. You know who else would have made a great Wonka? Like, a great who? tribute to Gene Wilder's slightly maniacal Wonka is Hugh Grant as Lofty. Wait, Hugh Grant as Lofty, or Hugh Grant would have made a good Wonka? Hugh Grant would have made—it didn't doesn't work, because he's far too old. He's, in fact, way older than Gene Wilder was. But So he's refined, and he's genteel, if that's the word— and he's properly mannered British, but under the exterior, you can see like the seething, <laughs> seething animosity. I love Hugh Grant, especially late stage. Hugh Grant, he did nothing but bitch about the process of making Wonka. He thinks it's stupid, and he said he had cameras stuck in his face, and he was orange and doing a stupid dance, and, and he hated the process. I said he liked being a part of the movie, but he is like the new generation of Anthony Hopkins play-for-pay kind of dudes who's just like, <laughs> I did it for the money, and he's like, he's an intolerable tool, but like beloved in a weird way. I think he would have made a really good Wonka. <laughs> but I mean, you come on. You can't do Oompa Loompa just for the paycheck. I mean, it's so ridiculous. It is. He bends over and his fart is the transition. <laughs> to, to another sequence. How much could they pay you to do that? Uh, for Hugh Grant, there's definitely a number. And whatever it was, they reached that number because he made no secret about the fact that he did it for the money. But he still showed up for all the promo stuff, and he's laughing along with everybody else. Well, because he's getting paid to do that, too. Yeah. So I was so confused. 
The appearance of the little orange man, as young Wonka refers to him, was so confusing to me, kind of threw the whole film out of perspective. Like, I was like, why is he so small? And then he was talking about how he's big for his people. Yeah, enough to warrant the nickname Lofty. But in actuality, he's below average. Uh, I guess so. A quarter inch below average. (laughs) But he's about the size of a candy jar, right? Which is always the reference. He's carrying it around and he's stealing it and whatever. But I was just like, why is he so small? And it took me forever, but I finally realized that this Oompa Loompa is not to scale for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. They completely took this in a completely different direction. And I realized why, because you can't have little people play a different species in a movie. <laughs> Not anymore. Not any, that's very inappropriate. But look, Peter Jackson's forced perspective or Elf's forced perspective, John Favreau's Elf with Will Ferrell, that's an old trick. They could have done forced perspective Oompa Loompas, especially given the fact that they so rarely interacted with Willy Wonka or any of the normal sized kids. They did, but it, it could have been done is what I'm Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Saying, but yes, in 1971, it was a different world. It is worth noting that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Tim Burton's version, all the Oompa Loompas were played by a single person. Spoiler: Deep Roy, who was also a Hobbit, and he was played more closely to Hugh Grant's size in Wonka. So I think they're taking something from the books there. Smaller is more book accurate. He's really great. And we watched this with Michelle, who loves musicals. And the moment she found out it was a musical, she was like 10 times more excited. And I never heard her laugh more than during Hugh Grant's scenes. But I was also just like fascinated with his little bar. <laughs> and I was like, how, how, why do we not have life-size versions of those? Right. Don't we like shipping container, like condos and stuff? I mean, I guess, but perfectly suited to being able to drink, to make your cocktail and then recline. Yeah, Wonka had his equally magical little chocolate factory in a, su- in a suitcase. Yes. In a carpet bag or whatever. I don't know, man. The movie was awfully convenient and magical. For someone who was so technologically adept, to be illiterate was weird. He was dirt poor and then suckered himself away into servitude. But with no money, how did he procure worldwide magical ingredients? And the flying chocolate? I don't know, man. It was awfully magical. It was awfully magical. He was awfully magical. They referred to him as being magician, but I always thought that was just euphemism for making great chocolate and this guy is a legit magician he's pulling canisters like apothecary jars full of chocolates out of scarves and stuff full of magic at that exactly so it was you know they kind of went very literal with this whole idea of wonka (laughs) as a magician which was fine and Uh timothy chalamet was adept 
and all that. I don't think we were watching this for the plausibility of the screenplay, but I was aware of its implausibility, unlike I was ever aware of it in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. That's because it wasn't implausible. It wasn't magic. It was real. That was a real chocolate river, for God's sake. But people are blowing up into blueberries and, you know, and flying into fans and transposing into TVs. But for some reason, that doesn't bother me. Why did this magic bother me? Because you were younger and because it was practically done. The, the most special effecty, cheaty magic done in that was when Mike TV turned into like blinking particles in the air as he was being transferred through the air. This was all CG and stuff, or at least a lot of it. His magic, no more evident than in what we were supposed to believe was their practical interior decorating skills when they decorated his chocolate shop. It was like trashed, right? It was like a The Last of Us situation. And they made it into like magical Encanto tree. Yeah, <laughs> that was their soft open. I was like, whoa, I expected a candy counter. Right. Like, a la Wizards at Universal Studio <laughs> where you can get candy and magic at the same time. I mean, as magic goes, do you know how many people in today's day and age would pay good money for hair growing yak chocolate? <laughs> I mean, do you get to pick the color? I, I don't know. Does it matter? People love technicolored hair. Oh, that's true. Why was Wonka immune to the chocolate when he took a bite of it and declared that it was tainted? Yeah, he tasted the Yeti oil or whatever it was, but then yeah. he didn't get affected. I noticed that too. So when was this movie set? Is it pre-war? Um, 30s? Is it the 40s? They have cars. Uh, parallel universe? I don't know. So Wonka, 1971. Was that a present day movie? Seemed like it. They had TV. Mike TV exactly. was addicted to TV. And TV, as we know from Back to the Future, didn't infiltrate homes until the mid-50s. So if that's a modern movie. They didn't have um, automatic washing machines, though. They didn't. Okay. Or what? they weren't widely available? Maybe not commercially. I looked it up. Gene Wilder. In 1971, in the modern day, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the movie, 37 years old. Timmy Chalamet was what? Early 20s? You call him Timmy? Yeah. You just called him Timmy. He's the little kid version of Willy Wonka. How old? Well, in real life, he's 28. So yeah, his character was probably 25, I'd okay. say. So if he's 25 and 27 thir and 37, that's a mere 12-year difference, which means that this movie would have been set in, what, 1959? I trust your math. I can't tell. <laughs> it's a little bit like Cruella. I can't tell appropriate time period in Britain because all the cars are bubbly and look like they're from the 30s and fashion uh -huh. is silly. So maybe this was 1960s London. Hmm. I mean, the cars might suggest that that's true I'm trying to think what else would have been pegged to any specific time period it, re it really isn't was it weird to see keegan michael key in this movie no why would it be weird he's that funny in a movie with lots of diversity produced in a time when diversity and representation is key that he played an italian dude did he? He had an Italian what? accent. He had like a New York Italian. And he had Italian white guy flowing hair on the sides of his head. He had a New York Italian-y accent because for some reason everyone's got different accents in this. So you're justifying it saying whatever the case, he wasn't misrepresented in this movie. I don't think they put him in whiteface, no. How are you going to let the filmmakers be sizest in this day and age when he turned into a big fat chocolate slob? 
was definitely a big fat guy. <laughs> All the bad guys are fat in this movie. I mean, obviously, this is a concept we're aware of, but this concept that there's a correlation between how much chocolate you eat and your waistline, it's a very <laughs> strange thing to bring up. That's why you got to get with dark chocolate, less calories. Sure, and it's like got good antioxidants and all that stuff. But maybe it's because this in this version of Wonka, all of the main characters are adults. Some may be young adults, but they're all, this is an adult movie, whereas in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, they're kids. And so kids like chocolate and they don't really think about the dietary repercussions. And so is, this, is it because this is an adult cast that they've introduced this concept that this guy is a gluttonous, obsessive, addictive chocolate eater now who's slacking on the willy wonka references from 71 there's a whole song about it <sighs> guzzle down sweets eating as much as an elephant eats i'm not gonna get dinged am i no because it wasn't that good but he eats everything <laughs> not just chocolate he's a he's omnivorous but he's not choc chocolifurous chocolifurous that sounds like a wonka word i liked the um the noodle song though yeah oh the the, the giraffe song yeah, it was so cute. Yeah, sure. Great musicals. I expected Wonka to be like more damaged and, and, and even though he's like a cartoonish figure later in life, he's like a hardened veteran and stuff. Yeah, you needed to have some glimpse at a future. Good day, I said. Good day. With the hair shaking and stuff. Right. He's the one who would be taken in by Olivia Coleman and like all fine printed and indentured servitude. And then who would turn around and do that to Charlie and the kids right. later. There's right. got to be some trauma. And I expected, fully expected this movie to set up that trauma. And that's my biggest takeaway from Wonka. I didn't want the magical. I wanted the maniacal. And Timothy Chalamet, as you said, didn't have an ounce of maniac in him. It was all soft edges and all perfectly lovely. And I'm sure Paloma and Aurelia enjoyed it and loved it. And Michelle and all that stuff. But I wanted snakes or centipedes or whatever coming out of people's noses. I wanted chickens' heads being chopped off. I wanted trauma to be inflicted. And in a way it was. Like he was, you know, had to do laundry against his will and had to sneak out in the laundry basket. And he did almost drown in some chocolate. But he all took it in stride because he, he did it because it was part of the choreography. There were multiple, like mom there was like a mom murder or mom there were multiple mom deaths but also there was this weird thing where he was expecting her to come to show up and she was still and i was like oh shit is she gonna show up to you like corpse bride style and she didn't but that kind of would have been a cool movie if she did good old sally hawkins right she's scary <laughs> in a like falling in love with alien like sea monster kind of a way yep you know he was he was definitely more the let's dance on rooftops and fly away on balloons wonka than the chocolate riverboat captain wonka that's an important wonka not to be overlooked and maybe there was something missing in that but we're also talking about the filmmaker behind paddington that's, that's exactly it they were like, it's perfect. And maybe in a way, maybe for all the softy kids out there, maybe it is perfect. Do you know that it was almost Tom Holland? Really? Yep. And maybe he would, would have been a perfect damaged Wonka, but I'm not sure he could have carried off the bright-eyed magic and the cutie curls of Timothy Chalamet. That would have been the thousand-yard stare Wonka. The potentially <laughs> child-murdering Wonka, which is all I want. If Wonka was the first movie in the Wonkaverse, and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory happened to be produced in 2034. Would this movie stand up? 
or does it ride entirely on the shoulders of the goodwill we we bring from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? And I guess some people, I can't imagine, but somebody out there saw this because they loved Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, come on. But kudos to these filmmakers. They did something different. You know, this wasn't Home Alone 2. This wasn't The Hangover 2 or prequels like the ones that you know whatever one comes next whether prequels or prequel or sequel you know there's the ones that rehash and there's the ones that move the story forward even if it is a prequel I think this expanded the world of Wonka and you know does it segue perfectly into the other one I don't think it really matters I think that they were trying to create something innocent and dreamy and magical for a year that was that maybe needed a little bit of that I completely agree. And it worked. You got your kids on board so much with Wonka as an, as a gateway drug that you got Paloma on the boat with the snake coming out of the dude's nose. <laughs> to, for the record, I think it just slithers across the upper lip. I'm saying that chicken lost its head on screen and really, kids though? were screaming. And then Gene Wilder does my favorite part of Willy Wonka <laughs> where he just screams <laughs> He's staring <laughs> up in his face and he goes, <laughs> Stop That's the boat. That's terrifying. And it worked for me too, man. Wonka is my excuse to go back to, to revisit, to talk about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory in 1971, Gene Wilder, which simply cannot be matched. I am going to give it an all right. I, I'm simply not going to revisit it. And I don't know if Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory helps or hurts this movie in that regard. I will always go back to that movie. And because it cannot possibly live up, I don't know that I'll ever see Wonka again. Timothy Chalamet is perfectly serviceable. I really don't mean that in a negative way at all. He's delightful. He's the it boy. He brings something delightful to this role that... I think showed another very talented side of him. So good for you, Timothy Chalamet. And may the Wonka-verse ever expand. And and I will thank this version of Wonka for just taking it a little bit further and give it a good. So that's our discussion on Wonka from 2023, available in theaters. Thank you for listening. 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com is how you get in touch with us. Happy New Year. Happy 2024. And thanks for listening. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electricast production. Electric acid. Electric acid.